This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Vacation's over. It's over. It's over. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome. Here in the basement, we keep a crazy holiday calendar. You all know that already. And it tells me today is National Tourism Appreciation Day. Consider me your tour guide. First, here's the table where we often talk to fantastic guests who visit the basement. And today's no exception. Help us welcome nine-time best-selling author, David Bach. Over here, you'll see the notes for our headline segment, including a report by Sally May, which finds that students hold, on average, five credit cards. That's going to be interesting, won't it? Oh, and joining us from Sally May will be Ashley Butcher. Oh, 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 and just up ahead here is the rod and reel that we use to throw out the Haven Lifeline, and today... We're going to do that to someone who calls in with a money problem that they'd like guys to solve. Oh, oh, and just over here on your left is the mailbag where we'll pick an answer to a letter from a listener. And finally, check this out. These are my notes for the best part of the show, which will be a segment called My Incredible Trivia. And now, let me introduce you to two guys who show up here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday... It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Happy National Tourism Appreciation Day. That's a mouthful. We do show up every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whether you want us to or not. We bring it. And all you've got to do is hit that one button and we magically start playing. How great is that? And sometimes two buttons if you want us to talk extra fast. What? We, we may talk extra fast regardless. How was your week away? It was awesome. We got poison ivy, allegedly, without actually having contact with any poisonous plants of any kind. That's always a fun way to spend your week away. Yeah, it's fantastic. Itching and scratching. Where do you think mm-hmm. you got it? I have no possible idea. I think someone planted poison ivy juice in the inside of my pant legs 
Are you sure that's poison ivy? <laughs> you go to any sketchy parts of downtown? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, frankly, that's the only thing that's saving my bacon right now is that it's really confined <laughs> to my ankles. Because <laughs> if there's any other spreading of it, I think that I would be in some pretty serious trouble. Well, if you need $450 for treatment, you know how you get that? <laughs> you change your stuff over to Magnify Money. Because at Magnify Money, they have all the things your brick-and-mortar bank doesn't have. They compare and contrast over 92% of those products available every day on the internet. And it's funny, when you go there, you'll find out that those things that your brick-and-mortar bank offer, not really that competitive. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, whether it's refinancing student loans, paying less interest to the man, getting a higher rate on your savings account, cashback reward cards, whatever it might be, it's all at magnifymoney.com. What secret things, by the way, do you have, OG, that you don't uh, normally talk about besides that rash growing up your leg? Thankfully, it's ankle limited. Thank you. But um, secret things. I don't have secrets. I am an open book. Yeah. Well, that except the back of my head. Except that, right. Except the fact that you hide your identity. Besides that, everything's open. Everything, yeah. The one thing you've never told anybody about could be about money, could be finances. Maybe you've got something more personal, more private to tell. Everybody's got a secret. It's one special podcast where you go to hear them. It's called The Secret Room, hosted by our friend Ben Ham. Check it out right here, wherever you're listening to this show. I love The Secret Room. It's like you're you're listening to somebody's deepest, darkest secret, and you're a fly on the wall. You're like, should I really be listening to this? We got a great show today. We've got David Bach here talking about the latte factor, and we also are going to talk to Sally May. We're going to have some fun talking about students who have five credit cards. What the heck is that all about? But we've got another headline first, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline of this eight-week segment of shows comes to us from Investment News. This is written by Ryan W. Neal. Next-gen portfolio management tool from Schwab is now live. By the way, Investment News is a place where financial advisors kind of hang out. It's an industry rag. We like showing you a little bit behind the scenes. And I wanted to use this as a jumping-off point, OG, to talk about something that most people really aren't sure about, and that's technology advisors use. So listen to this. Schwab Advisor Services moving ahead with its next-generation portfolio management technology bringing Portfolio Connect out of the test phase and onto the market. Schwab's positioning Portfolio Connect as a simpler, cost-effective alternative to tools like Orion Advisor Services, Investnet Tamarack, which recently acquired Schwab's older portfolio management software, Portfolio Center. While Portfolio Connect only works with Schwab accounts and lacks many of the customization options provided with other software, it is deeply integrated with Schwab's custodian platform and will be free for advisors. Quote, when we took a look at the overall landscape of portfolio management options that advisors have today, there are a lot of third-party options providing multi-custodial sophisticated systems, said Lauren Wilkinson, Schwab's vice president of digital advisor solutions. And then it goes on more about how the piece works. And I don't really want to talk about that so much as this, OG. As I was reading this, I was thinking, what type of tools do advisors use that the average person on the market doesn't have access to. And let me tell you the reason for asking that. When I was an advisor, I really fell in love with the financial planning tool I used. It gave me all these milestones 
that I could set out for my clients. We could go to that then and know every year if they were ahead or behind. Very easy. I went looking for the same thing and either the maker of it put it behind the hood so that we couldn't get that data. It was there. They just didn't make it available or the thing was way too simple and it, it didn't have that data at all. So some of the things that as an advisor, I really like to use that. I only know one website that's free where you can find the efficient frontier and play with it. You really got to play around a lot to get it to work correctly. What are some tools that advisors use that uh, you wish more individuals had access to? Well, there's a lot of things from a uh, service standpoint that we use from a planning software standpoint. You mentioned the software that I prefer. There's a couple of them out there, but uh, I use a tool called Money Guide Pro and it's very modular in its design. So if we're working with somebody just getting started or working with somebody with complex estate or stock option programs or something like that, we can add or subtract the different modules that are necessary. Obviously, portfolio management stuff, integration tools like think uh, Mint or um, a dashboard, you know, like a a client view dashboard where we can see all of your financial planning information. We use a client portal so that we can securely send documents back and forth. I think it's important to recognize that it's not just any one thing that's out there because there's always constant innovation. It's, are you as an advisor working on the next thing for your clients. I have a great example of this in our business. We have been using a tool for probably the last four or five years that's serviceable, provides reasonable data. It does have some errors from time to time, which, you know, if you're in the data business, having errors is just uh, mind boggling that it would exist. But I can tell that the company is very comfortable with the market that they serve and their price point. And as the leader of a firm, one of the things that I'm always looking for is the better experience for clients. And if you're not doing that as an advisor, or if your advisor isn't constantly reevaluating the different services or the different tools that they use to help with client relationships, then I think that's a big miss. And I know it costs more money. You know, you mentioned one of these programs in there, Orion, is tens of thousands of dollars a year for advisors to use, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But the benefit that it provides for clients and the benefit that it provides the advisor to work with the client because all of that stuff is integrated really, really, really enhances that client experience. So I think the message that I would take from this is there's new stuff coming all the time. And the way that you find out about it is make sure that you go to conferences and make sure that you are participating in betas and things like that. But also you have to ask your clients what's more important to them. You know, do they prefer this tool versus that tool or do they prefer this view or that? How do they want to interact with, with you? Since most of our clients are remote, digital, we have to have a really strong digital experience and, and we're moving toward that better and better. But, um, but you have to constantly innovate, I think. But I think there's some important messages there. Number one, whether you work with an advisor or not, the tool's just a tool it's really how you use the hammer, not whether you have the better hammer is what you're saying. Well, sure. And you mentioned a couple that are available for retail things like, you know, calculating efficient frontiers and that sort of thing. You don't even need a program to do that. I mean, frankly, you could just do that with one big giant math problem. But the reality is that that's a lot of work and most people don't know how to do that. And so you fall back on a more simplistic solution that unfortunately gets kind of really watered down 
at like a brokerage company, like, uh, you know, just pick on Fidelity, for example, they have really great planning tools, but you look at like their asset allocation model and it goes, oh, you should be 85-15. Just 85% paying. stock, 15% fixed income. You go, well, that doesn't really tell me much. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, that is a lot of missing information in that 85-15. So, right, because you'll go there from an advisor's efficient frontier just to give you an idea of the kind of stuff that at least I used to look at. You know, I may have 10 or more asset classes. It tells me my client should have been divided between. Well, and the important thing is to also recognize that that data always changes. Once another year has gone by, there's more a, a longer data set. So now you have more information from which to reclassify things or recognize correlation or whatever the case may be. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with the simplistic way of doing it. But I think that you have to, you have to understand that that's what you're getting, you know, on the retail side, generally speaking. And Sally May is out with her 2019 majoring in money study. We talked to them last year about what's going on with students. And here to explain what happened this year on the study, we're happy that Ashley Boucher from Sally May joins us on My Dad's Shortwave. How are you, Ashley? I'm so well. How are you? Well, I'm fantastic now that you're here. But I want to start, I want to start with the negative stuff because most of this, in my mind, looks like it's very positive about students. But what this, what's this I hear about students carrying five credit cards? Oh, yes. So this is a really interesting stat. And we had a lot of conversation when we saw this information come in, too. There are, on average, truly, college students, the average college student, has an average of two credit cards. So that's the median number. So there are some who may carry five. That is true. And some who may even carry a little more than that. But on average, that's two credit cards for each student. So that can be a retail card. It could be that they're a co-signer or co-user, I should say, on their parents' credit cards. But the average student is carrying just two. Why do you think that is? You think we're giving into marketing more as people or we think we need more, we're more comfortable with plastic? What do you think the reason is? Well, you know, what's really positive and optimistic is that young adults, including college students and graduates and those who started but did not complete college, are seeing the value of credit cards and and really being able to they're able to identify how much of a tool they are in helping to establish credit and earn rewards. And in fact, establishing credit is the top reason that young adults are citing for getting a credit card. And so graduates, especially about 77% of graduates say, hey, I know that credit's important and I want to establish some positive credit history and behavior. So a credit card is is a way to do that. I love that. And actually, there's a bunch of positive stuff, but I got one more negative here that I see in your study which is that the balance on those credit cards is higher too. We're more confident about our credit, but on the other hand, Ashley, we're carrying a higher balance. What's that all about? So we are. So the balance has ticked up a little bit since what it was in 2016. So we're looking at, for college students, they're reporting an average balance in 2019 of a little over $1,100. But the good news is that a lot of our young adults do know that they need to pay these balances off on a monthly basis, and we're seeing that behavior too. So people understand that credit cards are a way to build credit. They understand the importance of building credit. There is a little bit of a need, or I shouldn't say a little bit, there's a strong need to increase our financial literacy and know-how in young adults and everybody. I think we're all lifelong learners when it comes to financial literacy so that they know that there is an impact of carrying over a balance and that we should, when possible, avoid that. 
But we are seeing young adults especially recognize positive credit behaviors, and they are, on average, trying to pay those off every month, which is a great sign. Well, and another great, well, there's lots of great signs in here. A lot of news about kids paying their bills on time. Tell me about some of those numbers, about all the positive things that we're seeing young adults doing. Yes, and it's it's almost surprising, right, because of what we hear in the news about Young adults are millennials not knowing quite how to adult, but the truth is, and the data shows, that they're pretty confident and optimistic in their skills, and we're seeing that with, like you mentioned, the majority are paying their bills on time. So nine out of 10 graduates are doing so, and 72% of students are paying their bills on time. So it's not taking them too long to learn that that is a necessity. And they're saving early, too. That's good news. Yes, yes, they're saving early. They're saving uh, around half to save money from their paychecks, which is great, and and it gets more so after they've been through college or they've separated. So graduates, 62% are saving money from their paychecks, and they're establishing emergency funds, which we love to see. I mean, I think everybody, no matter what your age or where you are in your education path, learns eventually how how crucial that is. So we love to see that it's not just college graduates who have an emergency fund, though 41% say they do. Uh, But college students, more than one in five, have already started their emergency fund. I think that's something really positive that we can take from this. We saw recently Apple really make a hard push, as you know, toward more people using their their mobile pay, their Apple wallet. Have you seen that students are using things like Apple Pay more often than older older people like me? <laughs> well, what we can say is that young adults rely most heavily on mobile payments and debit cards for their day-to-day spending. And we're seeing a little bit of a decline, not a terrible decline, but a little bit of a decline in cash. But young adults, 8 and 10, still carry it. But, yeah, mobile payments are on the rise. More students report using it now than they ever have. And a lot of times they'll say, well, my peers are using it. So they'll link up and be able to share payments or responsibilities for payments with their peers through those apps. And they're always on their phone, right? I mean, I'm one of them. I'm always on it. And it's just such there's a comfort and an ease of use there. So we totally get it, and we expect to see that and we're, you know, we're not too surprised to see it in the data. It's so funny. I was at the grocery store yesterday and uh, somebody in, in front of me, clearly a millennial using uh, just wallpay, just did that quick little tap. And I see them do that, Ashley. And I go, yeah, I got to do that at some point. And I still, I, yeah, it's, it's still beyond me. Yeah, there's a lot of convenience tied to it. So we're not surprised, but um, I think it's just where they're comfortable and, and, those who've separated from school, especially those who maybe started college but didn't finish, they're using it a little less. So, you know, that could be an age thing. It could be a number of factors. We, we can't pinpoint to exactly why, but um, it's interesting to see just how greatly that's increased the usage among college students. The most exciting stat of all in your study, and by the way, if you're walking the dog or on your commute, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to sallymay.com forward slash majoring in money. But you don't have to remember that. Just go to our show notes page, click on that, and you can kind of follow along what Ashley and I are talking about. But I think the stat that impressed me the most was this one. Young adults really want to grow their financial know-how. That is phenomenal news. Young people in this country really concerned about their financial literacy. Yes, absolutely. We are so excited to see this. And not only are they 
you know, as everybody across the board in the young adult category saying, yeah, we want to grow our financial know-how, they go even a little deeper. And the topics that they're interested in varies among the different groups. So graduates are thinking long-term. They're looking for investment strategies and retirement and future financial planning. Those who maybe started college but didn't finish it have a little bit of a different need, and generally speaking. They want information on topics like budgeting and debt reduction strategies and credit reports and scores. But students are the most likely to want information about financial literacy topics, and they're interested in strategies to help save, student loan repayment options, which is not too surprising, and options to pay for college and graduate school. It's so fun seeing this again this year and seeing how good these numbers are. But I know, Ashley, this isn't all you guys are working on at Sally Mae. Tell me what else, uh, what else you guys are cooking over there. Yeah, I mean, really, we're really invested in helping American families, students and parents save, plan, and pay for college. And so we're excited. We've helped 2 million families since 2014 make that happen. And we're excited to continue to equip them with the resources they need to build their financial know-how and then the products they need to make their dreams come true. That's awesome. And once again, we'll have the link to this study at sallymade.com forward slash majoring in money at our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes and going over this. This was all great news. Thank you, Joe. Five credit cards as a student. Might not be a it's great about, idea. about uh, six too many. <laughs> Might not be a great idea. By the way, if you're a student and you really want to look for the best credit cards, you know where you go, OG? I'm pretty sure you'll tell me. You had to magnifymoney.com. Because when you go to Magnify Money, what you'll find is that those credit cards that all your buddies have might not be. It's like the most horrible way to present this. Hey, if you're going down the wrong road, do it much more efficiently using Magnify Money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. You think that uh, Nick at Magnify Money, Brian, that they'll like that approach that we just used? We might get a letter. (laughs) We, We very well might. But while you're there, you know, if you have to take out an auto loan to go along with your five credit cards, and if you want to get a little bit of interest on that savings account instead of zero interest, if you're paying fees on your checking account, you don't want those. If you want to have your savings checking account linked, all those different things, plus an award-winning blog and some great tools to find out how to manage all that debt, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnified money. I think uh, lesson number one, thanks to Ashley, by the way, lesson number one with five credit cards when you're a student, don't do that. Yeah, please, God, don't do that. Lesson lesson number two is if you're working with an advisor, I think maybe, maybe, what what do you think, OG, walking through the tools with them? I mean, does that, is that helpful? I think it's really important to communicate like what you're looking to get in terms of a technology platform from your advisor. And the, the reality is that it might already exist. They may just have to click a few buttons to make it available to you to give you the data that you're looking for in the format that you want it. He has been... I feel lucky. He's been a frequent guest on the show. Ardent supporter. Ardent supporter of this show. And uh, we have uh, been so happy every time we talk to him. This guy brings it. You know how you identify somebody that can bring it every time? They have nine New York Times bestsellers. They've been on Oprah a bajillion times. 
He's somebody that's talked to audiences large and small, always seems available. You and I not only have talked to David Bach several times, but we also met him personally in Dallas and mm-hmm. had a had a great time talking with David. I, by the way, wondered how that was going to go. Remember we did the the live episode with David? I wondered how I that... I remember, yeah. Yeah, I wondered how that was going to go. And, and you and he were like BFFs sitting there next to each other on the show. It was really funny when um, he was looking for where to go. And uh, when I went up to him and I said, Mr. Bach, we're this way. He goes, all right, Og, where do I go? <laughs> he knew all about you, right? <laughs> Still calls you Og. Well, here he comes, coming down to the basement again to talk about this thing called the Latte Factor, uh, David Bach. And coming down to the basement, second time in 2019, it's our good friend David Bach. How are you, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, Joe. It's great to always be with you in the basement. Thanks for having me over. I'm, I'm, we're always happy, always happy to have you over because, you know, you're all about the lattes. Actually, when, when I say that, I try to think of financial people who are known for a saying or a phrase and I think of, of course, our namesake, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin, has quite a few. But then David Bach is the second person who comes to mind. Do you remember where you were the first time you thought of the idea of the latte factor? Oh, my God. I remember like it was yesterday because it's a true story. What happened was I was teaching an investment class. I used to teach these adult classes at a school in, in the Bay Area. So I, w- I was a financial advisor right, working at Dean Witter, which became Morgan Stanley. I would teach these evening classes and people would come to my classes and then many of them would become clients. So at the very end of the fourth week, I mean, I'm just getting ready to wrap up the class. I have this young woman named Kim. Her name is Kim. She's sitting in the back of the room and she raises her hand and she says, you know what, David, this has been the greatest class. I've learned a ton. You know, I appreciate all the things you've taught me from paying yourself first to the need for us to use our 401k plans and everything you talk about compound interest. She went through the whole list of all the stuff I taught her. And then she said, but none of this works for me in the real world. She said, in the real world, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I can't afford to use my 401k plan. I can't afford to pay myself first. And so what do you got to say about that? <laughs> and that's literally what she's like. What do you got to say about that, David Bach? Bam. And, you know, and I was like, oh God, I don't want to end the class like this. Right. And I, and I literally, I was so just, frustrated i looked at her and she was sipping a latte and it was from starbucks starbucks just opened this was like in the 19 early 90s and i said okay kim you know what let's let's end the class by going through your expenses and let's see if we can prove to you and there's probably some other people in the class who feel like you do that you've got the money and because it was a classroom i walked up to the chalk i was literally teaching with the chalkboard i went up to the chalkboard started going through her expenses Started with the fact that she didn't get coffee in the morning for free at the Gap, where she worked. She had a corporate job in San Francisco. And we just went through expenses. She stopped at Starbucks, and then she got a muffin with her coffee. And then you know, she would go out for a break, and then she'd have lunch. We just went through all of her expenses, and we showed her how much money she was spending. And we said, you know, what if you made your coffee at home? So instead of spending, you know, the time it was like $3.50 and having a muffin, what if you just had an apple? And you had a coffee at home. You just took that five dollars. Let's just go through what that could be worth. And I go, oh, and by the way, if you you're in your 20s, so if you do this with your 401k plan at the Gap, they have a match program, right? And she's like, yeah, they do. I go, so let's throw the match in there and let's show you what this would be worth. And I quickly ran the compound interest. 
And I showed her how it would be worth well over a million dollars. And she looked at me and she said, are you trying to tell me that my lattes are costing me a million dollars? And there was somebody in the front of the room that was really frustrated with this, with this young woman. And he literally turned around to her and he said, yes, that's exactly what he's trying to tell you. It's your latte factor. And, and so I said, yeah, but look, the funny thing was even back then, I said, it's really not about the coffee. It's about showing you that you've got the money to save. And, and you're the perfect age. I go, Kim, you're here in your 20s. There are people here in their 50s and their 60s getting ready to retire that wish they could go back to when they were your age and start paying themselves first and saving and using their 401k plan. And so she kind of looked at me and she's like, okay, I got it. And her boyfriend was with her and she's like, you're, you're as guilty as I am. You're not doing it either. And when the class ended, what happened was we walked out of the classroom. I'll never, again, I remember like it was yesterday, carrying my, you know, I had a file box of all my stuff as I'm bringing it back to my car. Every single person leaving that classroom, walking to the parking lot was talking about Kim's latte factor. And that, that was the buzz leaving the classroom was how all these people were like, yeah, I've got something like that too. And I have this and I have that. And at the time my assistant, Kathy looked at me and she's like, you should really remember to use that in the next class. That's how I started teaching compound interest because I realized it's not enough to know what you need to do. You actually have to do it. And the reason people don't do what they should do is they, they haven't made the mental light switch moment, right? It's that moment where you go, huh, maybe I could do this. And that's what happened to Kim, right? She actually then went back and signed up for a 401k plan at the Gap. I don't know whatever happened to her after that. But, you know, those are the moments where someone goes, God, I guess I could do this. And then they start to change their life. Every time you come here, you tell me a memorable story. So imagine my surprise when I open up your new book and this is the first book I think of yours, David, that is simply a story. Why did you go with, with kind of the parable this time? So yeah, let's talk about the books. The Latte Factor is my 13th book. It's a parable. I have been wanting to do a parable-like book now for 14 years. So um, after The Automatic Millionaire came out and I launched on Oprah, I, I turned to my publisher and said, I, I want to write a book like Who Moved My Cheese? Yeah. I want to write a book that's story-based. It's super short because... I think that 98% of people will never read a financial book. So even though I've got 12 books out and I've sold 7 million copies, I still think most people will never read financial books. So how do I reach people who won't read a financial book? And so I've had this dream for well over 10 years to write this little story called The Latte Factor that would deliver these empowering messages of hope. That's not just about your coffee. That's about the way small things can change your whole life that you can give up something small to get up to something big. And what I did with this book was weave a bunch of stories that, you know, have changed my life through my grandmother and through clients and their and experiences where you watch this young woman named Zoe Daniels, who's 26 years old and she's living in Brooklyn and she works in the freedom tower, which is right across the street from where I live. And she commutes to work from Brooklyn and she's six years into New York city now living She's got her dream job, but she doesn't have her dream life. And she's living paycheck to paycheck. And she doesn't believe, like that first woman, Kim, that she can ever get ahead. And so in a point of sort of almost like desperation, she starts sharing with people around her, including her boss at work, that she's struggling. And through that journey, she gets these mentors that take her and teach her 
you know, she's actually richer than she realizes and that really she's able to go live her dreams now. And it's a super empowering emotional read that I wanted to write a book that young people would read. So I have a 15 year old, my son, Jack, this is the first book that he's read cover to cover. And, you know, he read the book, turned to me on an airplane, which is exactly their goal. I wanted it to be a book you could read in less than two hours. He turned to me and said, dad, is this chart in the back of the book true? Cause I have a chart in the back of the book that shows, you know, the, the miracle of saving just $2,000 a year. And it shows a young person doing that at the age of 26 and how it becomes over, you know, over $800,000. And, and by the time they reach retirement, he looks at me and he goes, dad, he asked me a couple of questions. How does this work? When do I get taxed on it? And how do I open up one of these accounts? Okay. So he's 15 years old, right? So I, he, this, this message got to him. He's like, well, then we need to do this for myself. It's the perfect like, question. It's the perfect question for him to ask when they get done. I mean, you must've been high-fiving yourself. I was so excited and blown away. And, but the more important part that really like made it, made all the work for this book worth it for me is at the end, end of the book, there's a story I don't want to give the whole story away, but there's a part of my grandmother's story in this book, which when my grandmother was passing away at the age of 86 on her deathbed, she shared with me her biggest regrets in life. And she shared with me how her biggest regrets were the times she didn't take risk and go for her dreams. And so that story is weaved into this book. And I, Jack turned to me and I, I said to him, what's the biggest takeaway you got from the book? And he said, dad, that I need to take risk and go for my dreams. And we're getting ready to pick up as a family and move to Florence, Italy. So I'm putting the book out, touring across America for nearly two months. And then come July, my family and I are moving to Florence, Italy for a year. Oh my my kids are going to be going to school in Florence. And my 15-year-old, because he was a teenager and going to be a sophomore, which is why we planned this trip, we gave him a choice about going or not going. And he chose to go. And he said to me, you know, Dad, if I hadn't chosen to go to Florence – that would have been my first major regret in life. He said, because I just knew, I knew that that's really, really the big, I know it was a little risky to go to Florence. I'm going to leave all my friends, but I would look back on my life and regret not going. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's all I need. I got my 15 year old to learn two major lessons. Pay yourself first, compound interest. You need an IRA account and take risk in life. Your parenting job is over, David. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wanted to ask you, I want to dig into the beginning of the book because to give people an idea of what we're talking about, you have a story at, at the very, very, very beginning of the book that you kick off with, which is that, that Zoe sees this picture. Can you describe that story, the story about the picture and kind of set the mood for what you're getting into here? Yeah. So Zoe, again, she, she's commuting from Brooklyn and she takes a subway in New York and she comes up the center called the Fulton Center. It's right below the Freedom Tower. And she comes up inside the Oculus. The Oculus is one of the most amazing redevelopments of all of Manhattan. This $4.5 billion development that's above the subway station. And inside the Oculus, which is underground, on her way to work, there is a football field-length LCD screen. It's one of the largest LCD screens in the whole world. And on that LCD screen, she sees this phrase that says, if you don't know where you're going, you might not like where you end up. And she comes up the escalator, the escalator takes her above ground and right where she comes up is the 9-11 memorial. This actually is my commute to work every day. I commute this direction to work. She comes up and she sort of stops. And for the first time in six years, she actually really looks at the 9-11 memorial because it's right next to her office, but she's always just walked right by it. And she sits down on this marble bench and she sees people, you know, 
at the memorial morning. And she sort of stops and takes in the thought about what's happened here. And she asks herself a question. Where is she going with her life? And that's what starts the story because so I think and I, and, and I wanted to start the story there because I always say everything in life is about your why. What's really most important to you? But often in the busyness of life, we lose touch with our soul and our why. And in that moment, she realizes she's not sure she is clear on where she's going in her life. And that really kind of begins her internal journey to learn how to plan a new way of living. That whole story reminded me of the most frustrating question that I've received, maybe maybe more than any, uh, when I was a financial planner and even now just in financial media, David. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, which is, how do I compare against everybody else? And when you talk about your soul and your why, everybody else has nothing to do with your why. And it's such a frustrating question for me for that reason. <sighs> You know, it's so interesting because last night I was at a party and when you tell people you're picking up and moving to Florence for a year, there's different responses. Some people go, oh my God, that's amazing. How, how, how did you do that? Where are you going to live? Where are the kids going to go to school? Oh, wow. I wish I could do that. Okay. That's one response. Another response is just, you know, you can just tell immediately. They're like, oh God, really? Look at you. You're so lucky. You get to go do that. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, it's that whole negative thing, right? right. And, and because they, because they immediately put themselves in their life and go, well, I could never do that. And then the third type of a person goes, huh, that's really cool. How long have you been planning this? What were the steps you took to go take this year off in Florence? Because they, they look at themselves and go, okay, how could I do this? Maybe I can figure out how he did it and I could do it too. And that's exactly how we ended up taking this trip to this plan, this trip to Florence. We had a friend of ours who picked up with their three kids and moved to Barcelona for a year. And we went over and visited them the first two weeks they landed in Barcelona. And I looked at my wife and said, we need to figure out how to do this ourselves at some point. So I think there are those who are jealous. There are those who can't imagine ever doing it. And then there are those who go, wow, you know what? That sounds cool. Let's figure out how we can go do it too. And that applies to everything in life. You know, people watch you and they want to be a big podcast guru like you. <laughs> yes, and, yes, and, and, that's true though, right? If I, go, if I could podcast know? out of my mom's basement, I would totally do yeah. it right now. That's what everybody's saying. <laughs> so, you know, those guys, you know, how does Joe do this? And they want to learn from you. And then there are those who go, oh, I could never do what Joe does. He's just, he's too handsome. He's too smart. Right. He's got the most amazing basement in the whole world. It's not possible for me. <laughs> Keep it coming, baby. Keep it coming. No, but seriously, it's it's funny you say that because I'm definitely going to be leaning on you because Cheryl and I had this same discussion literally last week about how could we live someplace in Western Europe? I'd, I'd have to find a way to get, you know, broadband quick enough because I love podcasting and I want to just keep doing it from there for a while. So I'm going to be definitely leaning on you. You know, I'm, I might lean back on YouTube because the interesting thing is I thought about maybe I'll finally have time in Florence and maybe do a podcast myself out of Florence. But yes, definitely lean on me. And I'll tell you, it's even the, the process of making decisions to move and what that all looks like and, and the costs involved. You know, when we started looking, getting ready to go look over in Florence to live and my wife was showing me the real estate we were going to look at, I said, I'm confused. Why are we looking at places that cost the same amount of money as our life in New York? And she said, well, I just, I knew what we were spending in New York. I just figured we would spend the same amount of money in Florence. I said, no, 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 that's not the plan at all. <laughs> the plan is to go to Florence 
and live as well, but significantly lower cost. Yeah, right. So you need to go back to all those real estate agents and, and change the budget significantly. Well, you know, we just found the most amazing apartment, and it's going to cost us about a third of what it costs us to live in New York and Florence. That's so exciting. I want to read before, because I know I'm running out of time. I want to read to the author just a little piece of your book. This comes from page nine. And then I thought we'd have one last conversation about this. She saw this photo, by the way, just so people know where we're at in David's book. Uh, Zoe, the main character, had seen this photo and it was of this boat. And she just she can't get it out of her head. And uh, you write on page nine, the photo print was good size, probably four feet wide by three feet high. Even so, she'd never seen much detail because she'd never spent enough time in the place to go over and really study it. Every morning, she'd leave her apartment, usually a little late, rush to the coffee shop to pick up her double shot latte and muffin, then fast walk to the stop just in time for the L train to whisk her off to Manhattan. She barely had time for a glance around as she paid for her order. Yet even in those brief glimpses, there was something about that photograph that always called to her. This morning, she paused a half minute longer to take it in, moved a step or two closer. It was just one little moment, really, but it had been enough to fix the picture vividly in her mind. She knew just the spot in her living room wall where she'd like to hang it, although maybe Living room was a stretch, more like her living room slash dining room slash home office. Zoe lived with a roommate in a cramped little apartment, and it wasn't much to look at. That big sunlit ocean scene would transform the place. It's not that I want to own it necessarily. It's just, just what? The photograph had stirred up feelings in Zoe that she couldn't quite describe, let alone explain. I don't know. She shook her head as if dismissing the thought. I don't even know if it's for sale. And anyway, even if it is... And Barbara spoke the next four words together with her, the two imperfect unison, I can't afford it. In the song that was Zoe's life, that was the chorus. The verses might be inspiring, adventurous, or contemplative. I'd love to go back to school, tour the American Southwest, travel Europe, have a place with an actual bedroom where I could write and do some yoga. But they always came back around to the same refrain, but I can't afford it. I love that page. Because it goes back to your story you told here at the beginning. So many people telling themselves they can't afford it. But you go over this one idea in the book. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's lots of ideas in the book. But this central idea of pay yourself first. And we've all heard it over and over and over. And yet, the way you explain this idea, David, it's like this big aha. If I pay myself first, I can afford all of those things. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, it's incredible because we've gotten this book into thousands of people's hands before it comes out to get their response. Our website that you can go to is thelattefactor.com. So we have a book website, thelattefactor.com, and we have an insider group where there's still a bunch of bonuses there, over $500 worth of bonuses when you buy just one copy of the book. Um, things that include, by the way, our keynote that we did together at FinCon, but also a 19 video course I created with Created Live. So there's just all these extra bonuses. But the most, I think, what's been the most cool part about this program that we did to get this, get the message of this book out, is that we created a Facebook group, and we have over a thousand people now in this private Latte Factor Facebook group. Which, when you buy the book and you go to the website and you join us. You can be a part of this community too. And what's happening is that everybody's supporting each other. And so this idea of, you know, yes, you can afford it. Here's what I've found. Here's my latte factor. Here's what I'm doing. Everybody's posting like their dreams and what they're changing in their life. And it's 
it's been really amazing. We, we launched this community about three weeks ago and just watching the way in which, you know, over a thousand people who have read my books are now coming together in a community and cheering each other on and supporting each other with their dreams. We had somebody recently post that she's retiring in two weeks and she credited reading The Automatic Millionaire with the ability to be able to do that. And so everybody was going into the message board like, oh my God, it's all on Facebook, right? Like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Congratulations. And she's like, oh, I'm telling you guys, you just got to read the book and do this stuff. It all works. But we're going to do an event. But anybody who listens to this is in New York City. I'm doing a live book event in New York City on the 9th of May at the Oculus from noon to 12. We're going to give away 500 books for free. I'm going to just be sitting there signing them and shaking hands and taking pictures. So that's right inside the Oculus where the book story starts. And that will be at, again, noon to noon. I did say noon to 12. It's going to be from noon to 2 o'clock. I get there at noon if you want to get one of the first 500 books for free. But of course, what we'd really like you to do is go buy a book. So go to thelattefactor.com <laughs> and buy a book and then come on over and join our community so we can be in touch. So I can be in touch with you and you know keep working with you one-on-one here as we kind of do our tour across America. I'm going to go to 10 cities across America here in the next six weeks. A lot of cool stuff going on. I'm also going to do a Latte Factor Masterclass with Create It Live. And that's going to be also be available on the website too at thelattefactor.com. Too bad, as usual, David, you got nothing going on. I mean, I wish you had something that you would do. Well, and your amazing partner on your other new podcast, buddy, Bobby uh, interviewed me for the book. So that's a cool video too we're going to have available for people to see. Yeah, she is awesome. That woman's a rock star. She is a rock star. You got to come to New York and visit us. You're on. We are definitely coming that way. Well, David, I know my time's up. Thank you very much for hanging out with us again. Congratulations on another book. I know it's always a thrill to have a new one out to see your name again out there. And hopefully a lot of people come out and see you Thursday. Well, listen, thank you, Joe. I appreciate you. I think this is our third or fourth show together. And um, I just salute you for all the good work you do. You have an unbelievable community that listens to your podcast because people come up to me at my events and they're like, oh, I listen to you on Joe's podcast. Were you really in the basement? The answer is always yes. Absolutely. <laughs> hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you've just crossed the checkpoint into my trivia segment. You know, Joe and OG might be in charge during the rest of the show, or at least I let them think that. But this section here, this baby is mine. And I have just been informed that today marks the 15-year anniversary of the last day the world was graced with a new episode of Friends. My God, how has it been that long? I mean, let's think, how old was I when they aired that finale? Wouldn't that make me... No, we don't even need to do that math. I mean, age is just a figment of our imagination. It really matters what's in your your heart and mind, right? Well, in honor of Friends' 10-season run, let's do this trivia question. Which cast members commanded the highest salary? I'll have your answer right after this. A show that we like is by a guy named Ben Ham, and the reason I like it, OG is because of the fact that one secret a lot of people have that you and I know, because we're one of the few lucky people that have gotten to meet with hundreds of people to talk about their money. Money problems are a big secret a lot of people have. Like we all, we're all hiding this money secret. Yeah. The cool thing about our secrets is that what we find out later is that everybody's got the same damn secret or fairly close. You know, I mean, there isn't as much, uh, there isn't as much standard deviation 
in in the financial secrets is we secret telling. Yeah, as we all think that there is in our heads. But there are a bunch of cool uh, secret things people are hiding. And sometimes they're not cool. But Ben and his Secret Room podcast talk about them. In each episode, here's what happens. A guest sits down, shares an intimate story, a story that could either touch you or amaze you. Like Mila in episode 64, when she confessed from her deathbed how she would reveal the name of her daughter's movie star dad. <laughs> or Rachel... She had a story of survival and the tragic events that unfolded in a showdown between her ex and her boyfriend. That's episode 84. Secrets sometimes have a lighter side. It's kind of you spin the roulette wheel every episode. You're not sure if you're going to get something that's a super dark thing or something that makes you laugh. Like CJ amazingly kept his career as a flight attendant secret from his parents when they thought he was in law school. (laughs) Yeah, how's law school? Oh, it's great. They flew me to L.A. (laughs) <laughs> how was the flight to la it was lots of uh lots of pretzels and um that biscotti bar i got upgraded right. to the jump seat uh it was it was funny there was this like incredible coincidence that forced him to come clean he finally had his hand for so his uh hilarious story of deception that's episode 60 so if you want to hear about some of those secret things that are not about money in people's life, enter the secret room for a front row seat to spectacular stories you won't ever forget. The Secret Room is a podcast about the stories that nobody ever tells. Welcome back, friends. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you've just been redirected to my trivia. Before the break, I asked you a little friend's trivia. And you know what? Hey, since we're talking about that, let me ask you guys a question that I get asked all the time. You guys think I'm more of a Chandler or more like a Joey? Because I hear it both ways all the time. You know, I, I, I've got Joey's looks. That's clear. But a lot of people say I have Chandler's razor sharp wit. So what do you think? I mean, the guy's a riot, but don't let, don't let that bias you. Let's get you back to your trivia question while you're trying to decide that tough question. Which cast members commanded the highest salary? The answer? Well, it's a a little complicated. The cast all came on to season one earning the same salary, but Jennifer Aniston and David Schwimmer, think Rachel and Ross, they came into season two earning a higher salary. Before the start of the third season, the cast entered into collective negotiations where Jennifer and David agreed to take a pay cut to ensure the whole cast received the same salary, which continued to increase before they reached a salary of a million dollars an episode for the ninth and tenth seasons. You know, I mean, it's not quite giant financial podcast announcer money, but I'm sure they managed to squeak by somehow. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. And uh, Zach in our Facebook group said these are the two things he values most, gas station sushi and Sizzler's IPOs. What could possibly go wrong on either of those fronts? Gas station... I said gas station tacos. Gas station tacos are... I think that'd amazingly be fine. Good. Yeah, that no, could be No, they're amazingly fine. good. Were they really? 
Absolutely. But but it has to be the specific gas station, I would think. Like there's a gas station that serves great tacos. Correct. Absolutely. And you have to sample a lot of gas station tacos before you find the one that's really good. So there's a lot of downsides to sampling gas station tacos. When I was uh, back in Texas, our mutual friend Mitchell Walker from uh, the Pouch Plan, he invited me to go to the horse races. And on the way there, we stopped for an East Texas, Southwest Arkansas delicacy. We had chicken gizzards and they were fried and uh, quite an aftertaste. But that was at a Sunoco station, I think. It's like when we went to Fort Worth and ordered calf fries for my kids. Yeah. I told them they were chicken nuggets. That's funny. We had those later that, that, that night. I'm like, as long as I'm trying it, I might as well try all of it. Just do it all at the same time. Just do it yep. all. There may have been some beer involved, but gas station sushi, kind of like discount sushi. I don't think I'm going there. Probably not. Yeah. Unless I'm looking for like a spring cleaning of my insides. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get off that train. It's actually, Zach, not gas station sushi. But it's your loved ones and your time. And it's why they've created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash haven life now, you know what will happen. Not only do they have my favorite calculator when it comes to deciding how much insurance to buy, because it's not just a number. It gives you a range and how to interpret it. You'll also get a free quote, affordable prices, policies issued by the parent company Mass Mutual, an application that's super quick and easy to Get finished so you can get on with your life. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to our friend Thomas. Say hi, Thomas. Hey, Joe and OG. Thomas from Missouri here. I have an odd scholarship question for my stepson who's 16. He's been a bit of a baller and got all of his college paid for this past year. With over $10,000 in scholarships and less than $8,000 in tuition and fees, he received over $3,000 in uh, excess scholarship money that was then sent to his bank account. And he got a 1098T that shows all this. We did not file taxes for him for 2018 because our understanding was that since he had less than $12,000 between the 1098T excess money and $62.57 in his savings account interest, that he didn't need to file. However, he was wondering, can he put that extra scholarship money into a Roth IRA? We asked that because we were going through the rules and it seemed like that counted as earned income. So yeah, can he do that? I mean, if not, at least I get a shirt, right? Size small, of course. <laughs> Thanks. His son's a baller. Nice job, Thomas. Congratulations to your son. Good work getting all that scholarship money. I'm sure that the OG kids are going to be that diligent when it comes to scholarships. Well, he also mentioned that his stepson is 16 and getting scholarship money. So Yeah, how amazing is that? Uh, that's pretty awesome. So, earned income? Can he, can he put that money in a Roth IRA? Hey, Thomas, congratulations on um, helping to raise a very studious young man. A couple of thoughts here. Firstly... This is a great CPA question. We're not tax accountants. We did stay at a Holiday Inn Express once, so that 
well, I really didn't stay there. It was more like I stayed and then immediately checked out. But that's another whole story. So I don't know if I get the full benefit of the Holiday Inn Express. Does checked out mean go to sleep? No, it actually means we literally left two hours later. Oh. But some of that scholarship money, the excess could be assumed to be taxable income, but it's still not earned income. So I fall down on the side of the fact that I'm not sure that that's going to be eligible for Roth contribution, but you'll want a clarification from from a CPA or an enrolled agent on whether or not it is. I know that depending on how it's reported to you, some of that scholarship money could be reported as wages and salaries, you know, on, on you know, part of a W-2 type thing, which would lead you to believe that you could be eligible for, for a Roth contribution, but it's still really not earned income. So uh, I'm not entirely sure exactly how thinly they draw that line. So I would say no. I would also suggest that probably you're going to just need that money anyway over the next couple of years to finish out school in one way, shape or form. So maybe a Roth wouldn't be the best place for it anyway. But if you get a CPA to sign off on that, heck, I'd do it. It's a great idea. Yeah, there's uh, there will be lots of expenses. I mean, just could be even travel expenses to school, uh, study abroad things that pop up and you go, but but dad, I really wanted to spend three weeks in France and uh Turns out that's not free, generally speaking. You're like, nope, not free. Cost money. <laughs> Alert the press. I don't know what to say. This, this is the that. part where you go, I have a daughter who did that. And dot, and dot, it, dot. And, and it, it was not cost oh, us money. That is nice. Yes. And it cost an arm and a leg. There yes. you go. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, I was trying to, you know, and I'm like... This is the bump, and then you set it, and then we spike it. That's just how apparently it cost me the a, repartee goes. Apparently, uh, that trip to France cost me a, a comment, witty comment generator. I had to give that up, I guess, because I was fresh out, man. Just, just yeah. here it is. Just tap it over the net to you. You just, you know. Yep. Totally missed it. it. Back. Totally missed it. Uh, thanks for the. But qu- I do like. I do like. Just finish this up and say I do like the fact that you're thinking about it. And if you are eligible to do it, CPA signs off on it and you're confident you're not going to need the money. That's pretty awesome to be putting away three or $4,000 a year in a Roth when you're 16 years old. Do it. We also get letters down here in the basement. Uh, we might talk about this a little more later, but about just letters in general. But uh, for now, Doug brought this one down from Dano. Dano says, I'm probably going to put this information in an order that won't make sense until it's read in its entirety. But my question is regarding the proper allocation of retirement contributions. Well, let's dive in, Dano, shall we? Dano writes, I'm a new federal employee with nine years prior military service. If you pay 4% of your salary into the federal pension plan, which I do, is it necessary to contribute any amount to bond funds like the TSP's Government Securities G Fund to have a balanced portfolio? Seems that with the federal pension, that would be my safe investment contribution. I'd have the ability to direct all my TSP contributions to more aggressive funds like C, S, or I. By the way, for people that that, uh, don't know, C is the common stock fund, S is the small company stock fund, and I is the international fund. I contribute 15% to the TSP, and there's an additional 5% matching added for a 20% total. The 4% to the pension separate of the 15%. I have another small pension earned from a previous employer. I'm 49, married, two teenage daughters, make $100,000 salary, no debts other than my mortgage with $20,000 left on that. 
I have 32,000 emergency fund, 280,000 in 401k, 65,000 in the TSP, and a few thousand 529 plans for my daughters. Any suggestions to any of this mess would be greatly appreciated. Love the show, Dano. Dano, great question. Does he need bonds in his TSP? No one ever needs bonds ever. So this is a great answer. No, this is a fantastic way of looking at this because in the common folk way of looking at asset allocation, you might say, well, I'm 50 years old. I should have 50% of my portfolio in fixed income or I'm 60. I should have 60 or whatever, you know, you feel like saying, but the reality is, is that the way he's thinking about this is, is the right way. If you have another source of stability in your portfolio, it doesn't necessarily make sense to double dip that security. And I think we'd all agree that a government pension is pretty secure. Seems like it's not going to go away. You don't have to worry about bankruptcy and getting taken over by the government pension system. It's like, great news, your pension's bankrupt. But the good news is, is that your uh, government's, the government's taking over your pension. But it was a government pension. So anyways, so this is exactly the way that I would look at it. So it does allow you to have the more flexibility to, to be more, um, in his words, aggressive with your investment selections outside of that. Compound that with the fact that at 49, you have the better part of 40 or 50 years of living left. So why would you ever in a million years have any low return uh, in investments in your portfolio anyway? And I know the corollary to that is, well, yeah, but when I retire, I need to be more conservative. And that's not true. You need to have some money that's safe and secure for when you're 65, when you're 63. I get that. But when you're 63, you also need 73-year-old money and 83-year-old money and 93-year-old money. And if you're married, 103-year-old money, because you better not run out and then go, get hit by a truck because your wife's going to be hanging around needing money too. So you got to think about the fact that just because you're now 60 years old or just because you're now 70 years old doesn't mean that you want to take all the variability out of your portfolio. As far as some of the other things that popped in my head, 20,000 left on a mortgage. Hmm. That's pretty awesome. I would move heaven and earth to try to figure out how to get that taken care of. Just the comfort level of Having that be gone. I was thinking about that. Dana writes that there's $32,000 in an emergency fund right now. There's a big piece of me because there's other assets. And given you don't want to go into those assets, you don't want to dip into them. I think that leaves 12000 in the emergency fund. Then take the money that you're saving from the mortgage to build it back up to thirty two. If that's if that's where that number needs to be. Why, why wouldn't you do that today? I think you're right on there because... The preponderance of an emergency fund, most people look at it from the perspective of, well, how do I keep the mortgage going? You know, that's the bigger component in terms of your payments. So if you eliminate that, now your emergency fund is, from a necessity standpoint, a lot less. Could you get by for a few months on $12,000? Maybe your mortgage payment's 1000 a month. Could you, for the next, for the rest of the year, put the rest of that mortgage payment into cash? By Christmas, you got twenty grand in cash, no debts. Now you got a thousand more dollars a month to save. Well, that's pretty tempting to me in my book. Yeah, me too. But then again, you know, if there's other things, Dano, that are up on the horizon that you didn't mention, take those into account first before doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Thanks. Well, for- he mentioned some 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 kids as well. Yeah. So he's got some college expenses. If if you're going to have those come up pretty quickly, another great reason to have the house paid off. Now you can cash flow a thousand dollars a month. Good point um, too. You know, people are stressing college costs these days, and it, it, there's a lot of different ways to solve that problem. And one of them is to not have 
a house payment at the time that you need to have college costs. And if you're sitting there without a house payment with the day your kids go to college and you're used to having a house payment, well, boom, now you got two grand a month or whatever helps smooth that out. My answer on the bond front is always a little different than OGs, which is, which is just, I just think about short-term assets, long-term assets. Dano, I have no idea how much money you want to live on. If the pension is enough to live on, clearly OG nails it by staying in equities. Um, Say that again. (laughs) No, I'm only going to say that once. Okay. I I thought I heard you say OG nails it. But, I just wanted to hear it one more time. But if there's a lot of money, if there's a, a big difference between the amount the pension's going to pay and the amount you're going to need, regardless of whether it's a cash slash straight to equities, a bigger cash portion, or whether you decide to go with bonds there, having some short and midterm assets depends more on your spending than it does on anything else. So that's the first thing I'd want to see is how much money you're going to spend and how does that compare to the pension amount? Thanks for the question, though. Uh, Thanks both to Thomas and to Dano for their questions. You got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and click the link and you'll see the link to the Haven Lifeline there. That's going to do it for today. Man, we got a lot of people to thank today. Fantastic show. But uh, before we do that, last thing, as always, if you're looking for great financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients Here's the link, stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG gets you to his calendar so that you can speak with him and his team on what it would take to get them aligned with you. That's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. I'll be there for you. See what I did there, folks? It just comes to me so fast. Anyway, hey, first take some advice from David Bach. Want to change your future? Small changes to your daily expenses can make you a millionaire, or even better, financially sound. Second, how about the advice from Ashley Butcher? Worried about your money? Maybe more credit cards aren't a good idea. But the idea of paying in cash? Nearly always a winner. But the big lesson? Don't forget to specify what kind of tips you're asking for when leading a tour of the basement. One guy just said, don't drink your bath water as he was leaving. I mean, c- come on. All right. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. Actually, I might use that later, but yeah. Special thanks to David Bach for coming back to the basement. You can find more from David's book, The Latte Factor, at his site, thelattefactor.com. And for those of you who probably can't spell it, latte is spelled L-A-T-T-E. It's very foreign and fancy. And a big thanks to Ashley Butcher from Sally May. You can find Sally May's newest report at their site, sallymay.com, or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. The part of Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, has been nominated for an Oscar. This is uh, something that we actually posted in the basement, and uh, which is our Facebook group. If you're not a part of that, uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement gets you the link because it's kind of a convoluted link to get there. But that's the easy way. And then we just have a click through from that page. But we have just continually gotten further and further behind on letters. I agree with some people that have commented on the show that some of the letters are samey, lots of Roth IRA questions. We appreciate the questions. It's enjoyable for us, but I also agree that they can be samey sometimes. We've changed, by the way, our approach to the letters. Recently, our producer, Richie, has worked to juggle the letters around so that if we have three, we used to take them just in order, which makes sense to me. You want your letter answered, so we take them in order. But if we get three questions that are fairly, they're not the same answer, but they're riffs on the same thing, we are now moving those around. So if you have a question that's a lot different, we may be answering it sooner. Not only did we do that, we also decided that uh, we're, we're just going to continue to get behind on questions. There is no way without doing a complete separate podcast, which currently we don't have the bandwidth to do to cover all the letters all the time. We still have the bandwidth. We actually considered quite a few different ways to handle this. We thought that number one, we could create a separate podcast, not enough bandwidth. Number two, we could add more shows per week, maybe some special episodes, not enough bandwidth. Number three is we could uh, stop having so many guests on the show. For me in particular, guests on the show are a big reason why I like doing this. Uh, that's kind of one of the most enjoyable parts of, of the, the show. The second most enjoyable part. Second I most think. enjoyable part. Yes. Behind these discussions with you. Thank but, you. But that's a lot of fun. I mean, talking to David Bott today was a lot of fun. Talking to Aaron Lowry uh, for Wednesday show uh, this week, a lot of fun. I enjoy those interactions. I enjoy the new thoughts that it brings up, the things that it feeds, not just to you guys, but to us. So, there's this place where podcasters and podcast listeners meet and it's, hey, we got to have fun doing it. You guys got to have fun listening, right? If it's fun for us and sucks for you, not that good. <laughs> if it's if it's fun for you and sucks for us, we're not going to make it. So there's got to be this, there's got to be this middle ground. I was talking about that with a uh, client the other day about how at this point, and this is just a byproduct of the podcast, I think, which is and life in general, like the work that I want to do is work that is inspiring and fun. 
And I completely understand that there's a lot of people who need a lot of help in different areas. And sometimes the right answer for the help is pay off your debt, put 50 bucks in your cash reserve, you know, and that's, that's the right answer. Not terribly inspiring to say that. It's not terribly inspiring to hear that because like we've talked about before, the fun stuff, air quotes, when you think about your financial planning life is steps eight through 11, not one through seven. Those are the sucky ones. But I was talking to somebody, I said, yeah, the stuff that I like doing, just like anybody in their career, you like doing the, you know, a little bit more complicated things or you like doing the stuff that brings you happiness or you, you find, uh, uh, I just use the word inspiring, but it's true. It's got to be exciting. Otherwise, you know, you don't get my best work or I don't get your best attention. And this is kind of the same thing with the show. I think we're past the point of fizzling out. <laughs> like, and I mean, what I mean by that is there's a lot of shows that start and then after a while it just kind of goes away. Yeah. 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 They, they call that pod fading. They just, Oh, it's a, it's a new word. There is a word. In the pod, pod fading. Pod I don't think, fading. I don't, I don't think you'll let us pod fade, but it has to be fun stuff to do. So, yeah. And so yeah. for that reason, I don't want to slow down the guests. I, we've also worked hard lately, especially to make sure that the guests have a texture to them. And I, that's a whole different episode going into how hard we've worked to make sure that uh, we absolutely bring a different perspective with every guest and try to make the guests not samey. I think every podcast from time to time goes through a period where the guests are samey. Some of the podcasts I listen to do that. And I I think we've been guilty of that before, but not lately, man. (laughs) It has been all over the map. But that's a long way of saying that we just don't have the bandwidth to take letters anymore. So we will. And, you know, of the two, hearing me read a letter versus hearing you ask a question I'm going to keep the Haven Lifeline, the Magnify Money line. I'm going to keep that open mostly because I think it's better radio. I like hearing today Thomas ask us a question versus me read Dano's question. And I know that some of you may not like the sound of your voice. I've been there. I've heard my voice enough that it's not nails on a chalkboard like it used to be, but it still is not. Turns out mine is still nails on a chalkboard. Every stinking time. But we, but but I get that, and I know that it's that it's hard, but it's it's better radio. And frankly, I also think that at some point we're going to have to pick and choose between those. Um, but for now, we want to get to as many as possible. So if you don't want to do the Haven Lifeline, ask the question in the Facebook group because I think our Facebook group is incredibly friendly. The people there's some really knowledgeable people there that hang out with us. OG and I see those, and from time to time, we have time where we can even chime in on those. So asking questions in the Facebook group is good, but number one is going to be go to that Haven Lifeline and ask questions there. And just to give you an idea of how far behind we are, we're going to still have letters probably for the next three months before the we reach the bottom of the barrel of the last letter. We're going to get to every single one before we stop, but we aren't. If you go to the Stacky Benjamins website today, you're going to see that there's no there's there's no link to send us a letter. You can send them to me, Joe at stackybenjamins.com. And I'll, if I have time, help you if possible, but obviously I can't guarantee that. I think I'm up to OG. I think I'm up to about, and I'm not kidding here, maybe 140 emails a day that aren't spam that are actionable stuff. Um, if you don't want to include Slack messages, sure. And then Slack messages, right. Right. Or texts or, 
So and, phone calls and and and, and don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not complaining. And if you can hear my voice, it's frustrating for me that we can't answer every question. But we had to make a difficult decision. So this wasn't something we're excited to share. But um, but but we had to come up with something. Somebody has a better solution. We're happy to hear it. We just couldn't figure out a different way. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.